Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome to the Found Down Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Johnson. And oh my God, I'm so stoked because I have Andrea. I say that right? I did. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Andre- I can edit that out. Um, I have Andrea Dalzell on the show today, aka the seated nurse. Um, Andrea is a registered nurse, healthcare advocate, disability rights influencer, speaker, and most importantly, a survivor. At the age of five, Andrea was diagnosed with transverse myelitis, an inflammation of the spinal cord that causes pain, muscle weakness, and paralysis, and she used and she was using a wheelchair full-time by 12 years old. Inspired by her experiences with nurses, she received her nursing degree from the City University of New York College of Staten Island. Andrea became the first registered nurse in a wheelchair in the state of New York. It's amazing. And she devotes her career to helping others with disabilities live healthier lives, whether seated or able-bodied. Andrea was crowned Ms. Wheelchair New York 2015 and utilized her title and platform Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Access to promote her message and belief that people with disabilities can live a full, a fulfilling life. As an advocate and activist, she has won national recognition over the years, including being named New Mobility's Person of the Year in 2021 and the inaugural Craig H. Nielsen Visionary Prize winner of 2020. She has been featured in the in Unite Spinal, Home Care Magazine, Apple's iWatch campaign, Yahoo, and Forbes. Oh my God, Andrea, <laughs> you've, done, you've done so much. I cannot wait to talk to you. But before we get into it, how are you? Like, how are you really? I am, you know what, to be honest, for me, it's been a, a tough couple of weeks. So if any one of your listeners or my followers, they know that I've kind of taken an unplugged session from social media. Uh And kind of just taking a break, like working, trying to like figure out where my next steps are going and where I'm going to be the most impactful. Sometimes you got to have to take that step back. How did it feel? Who wants to take a step back? Every time you, (laughs) you even remotely think about taking a step back, tell me if I'm wrong. Don't we all kind of like have this blaring sign above our head that's like failure. You're not doing enough. Um, You're not being purposeful. You're not living up to some type of expectation that's out there. So I'm like, I don't like it, but at the same time, I'm going to like it because I need to. If not, things are just not going to work out the way they need to. I need to really look through and, and see and come to terms with what it is that I really want and what, what my message is. Now we didn't, I didn't ask you, I was going to talk about this, but like we got a little bit into this before the show started, but you're juggling a lot. Like I, I, you know, I'm like a lot of people, all they are doing is they're just a bedside nurse. Oh God. I can't believe I said that. Just a bedside nurse. (laughs) I might have to edit that out. Oh shit. I'm sorry, you guys. Um, but most people, I mean, maybe they just have their nine to five or whatever, whatever their, their nursing job is. It's not nine to five, but you know, they're, they've got their nursing job and maybe they have like a family or whatever, or I don't know, like how do you, how are you juggling all this stuff? Barely, but because I have a wonderful team behind me, it's, it's, it's doable. I have, you know, one major publicity team behind me and with them, they are really on top of making sure that I can one schedule sit downs and have conversations with like you, 
uh, and then with other podcast um, creators and also just kind of setting me back. If I need to say the word no, because I'm too busy, I don't feel so bad telling someone no anymore because I could do it through my publicist. (laughs) You're like, tell those people no. Hell no. They're not going to get my time. (laughs) Like, just let them know that I'm really booked right now. We need to push out like at least two months. (laughs) Yeah. But otherwise, I think it's just even if I didn't have a publicity team, even if I didn't have anyone else around me, my schedule was packed and I wasn't taking care of me. And like you said in the intro, and it's no, it's no secret, I do have a disability. And if I push myself to an extent that I'm not taking care of me, nothing is going to get done. So it's very helpful to kind of really take that step back. Yeah. Your health is your priority. No, you're, yeah, you first. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. You got to do it. You got to do it. I know it's hard. We're, we're givers. A lot of us are givers. We're perfectionists. We're, we are people pleasers or whatever it is, you know, and we just want to, I don't know. It's good. It's good that you took that time for yourself. Yeah. But I mean, I know a lot of people be like, well, I can't even take the time for me, but I think we need to kind of re image or reimagine what taking time for you looks like. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be a month of time away, which we all deserve, but you know, but it can also be like an hour, two hours out of your day. You see, I get up early in the morning. I start my day at about four 30 in the morning, just so I can have an hour of time to like meditate and kind of set my thoughts for the day and what I need to accomplish. So I don't feel so bogged down, mm-hmm. especially at work. And we know that at work, there's so many different curveballs that can come our way that whatever is going to happen, it can throw your day off. End. Totally. And if you're already prepared for that, that's kind of also giving yourself some time, right? Because you, your mind is now prepared for those curveballs and those obstacles and not just adding on another layer of stress because you thought about it in the morning. You already, if you have continuity of care, you already know what your, your day is going to look like, mm-hmm. right? Or kind of have an imagination of what could go wrong. Yeah. Right. Even when you get into the office, you get into your desk and you clean off and you sit down and you finally overview your patients. That's kind of taking time while at work for you to make sure that you have the knowledge base that you need. Is it what you want to know? No, everybody wants to be on a beach in Bali (laughs) or the Maldives. Right. But again, taking time can mean so many different things for so many different people. And it's just staying true to what that means for you. I'm such a huge proponent of taking that time in the morning, getting up earlier and just giving yourself just an opportunity for stillness, for quiet, you know, so because like you said, it could just be so crazy the moment you get to work or things could happen and then, you know, you know, so it's a nice way to ground. Um, Andrea, do you mind sharing with us a little bit about your story? your personal story and sort of what kind of got you on the nursing path? Yeah. So uh, when I was younger, I was diagnosed with transverse myelitis. And as you guys heard, it's a neurological uh, inflammation of the spinal cord. And for me, for all of my specialists out there, I'm affected from T10 to L1 and I'm considered an incomplete paraplegic. Now for me, That meant hospitals, rehabs, doctors, nonstop. Uh, Up until this day, I've been through 37 surgeries, which means 37 different OR teams, ICU teams, med surge teams, PICU teams, ICU, like all of the above. I've been there. I've done it. I've seen it. Trust me. (laughs) Uh, And I've watched nurses my entire life. But my impact moment were doctors that would come into the room and tell me I would never be able to do something again, Mm. aka I would never be able to walk, I would never be able to play this sport, I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Mm. And I used to remember thinking like, well, if I can't do all these things, then what am I supposed to do? Mm. And the thought process was stay at home. And I'm pretty sure a lot of listeners might possibly think the same way, where if you have this disability that's going to cause you pain, can't allow you to walk around, then life pretty much kind of sucks just by hearing that. And it's like, well, stay home and relax. Everyone has a life to live. So for me, education was the one driving force that my parents instilled. If you have an education, it can't be taken away from you. 
no doctor can ever tell you that it's going to go away because you you can gain as much education and knowledge as you want. Mm. So that's what I pushed for. I thought that I was going to be a lawyer and go back and sue all of my doctors <laughs> for all the pain they ever put me through. <laughs> I'm coming for you. <laughs> right. Like 37. Could we not stop at 15? Could you not figure out how to like smush this all together in one big package and call yeah. it a day? 30. <laughs> but I mean, I all know that the doctors that I've had did the best that they could. And even one of them uh, came to my high school graduation uh, because I was signed out of the ICU. And he wrote in my memory book with his NP, please, anything but a lawyer. <laughs> and oh my God. they knew I was serious. Like they really knew that I was coming back for them because I would write down like my pain levels and what they were doing to address it and what they weren't allowing me to do. And so if you can't beat them, you join them. And I was headset on going to medical school. And then I realized I never wanted to tell someone they wouldn't be able to do something. Mm. I was like, wow. that is very much against my own morals mm -hmm. because we have free will. Do whatever you want. Whatever you want, medically, physically, however you want to do it, you should be able to do it. Live life how you want to live life because life is yours. If you want to take the advice of a doctor, take the advice of a doctor. If you don't, we strongly encourage you do, but it's your life. And I really wish that somebody had given me that freedom. And the only time that freedom came about was when nurses said to me, why can't you be a nurse? Because I've never saw nurses before. No one, none of my nurses ever had a missing limb. I never watched them limp around unless they were probably pregnant with sciatica pain. Uh, I never seen any of my nurses in chairs or with walkers or with crutches. And I was like, well, I can't be a nurse like that. And they're like, why not? You can do anything you want to do. Mm. And that's kind of what led me down the path to nursing was like, all right, never seen it, but why not join them? Join them on a different team, join them on a team that's more holistic and looking at the whole person and making sure that their, their life is the way that they want it to be and getting them to points that they aren't so vulnerable because that's usually when we see our patients yeah. is when they're at their most vulnerable. Yeah. And I was like, well, they had an impact in my life. Let me do that for someone else. When you decided that you wanted to become a nurse, um, which by the way, I just, I can't imagine what kind of, I'm like imagining that you're nursing the way that you nurse and the way that you advocate and the way that you experience what you're, like, the way that you understand a lot of what your patients are experiencing, like offers such a different type of nursing. The way that you nurse is probably different than the way that I nurse. Um, and anyway, I'm just like, how could it not truly affect the way that you care for people and also the way that you advocate for people? And um, especially, I mean, I'm just, I'm like, I'm totally blown away right now. Um, did your family, how did your family, what did they think when you were like, I'm going to, I'm going to go to be a nurse Were they, of course, like you can do anything. That's great. Go for it. Yeah. Go for it. Everybody like, was, I was like, go for it. <laughs> I was two degrees down already. I had my biology degree and my neuroscience degree. So oh. they're like, okay, nursing. Sure. Yeah. No problem. Great. She can figure that out. And lo and behold, I actually wanted to quit. Like I was never just allowed to be a student. I was a student with a disability in nursing, right? And when you think about nursing school from the very beginning, yeah. students are already just stressed out with the amount of material you have to intake. Mm -hmm. Not only am I taking in the material, I now have to figure out every single one of my movements. I have to figure out how my chair is going to move around. I have to figure out how I'm going to get to clinical practice. I'm going to figure out how I'm going to get around those rooms. I have to figure out how I'm going to be able to talk to professors and keep a very neutral tone and not seem annoyed because I don't want them to think badly. Uh, I don't, you go into a clinical setting and you know, you're going into like visiting someone's home when you're going to clinical mm -hmm. and the nurse managers have no clue that this person in a wheelchair is coming on their floor. And then you hear them in the background talking about you. And again, not allowed to just be a student like any other student, but uh. how is she going to be a nurse and how is she going to do that? And all of these issues come up and infection control and all of these things that everyone is probably asking themselves listening yeah. right now. Mm -hmm. But let's be honest, no wording anywhere throughout our entire education ever encompassed a disability as being able to do. Disability is 
is a death sentence in our in our language, in our world, right? Even in our textbooks, disability, no matter which diagnosis you pull, is seeming as though less than, unable to. And then we have this unspoken rule in healthcare anyway, that you have to be in perfect health mm-hmm. in order to be a healthcare giver, right. which is also very much untrue. So it was always that constant battle of just, can I be a student? Can I just, just, can't can you I be just a learn? Student? Can yeah. I learn? Can you just teach me? Like, forget the disability for a moment. Forget what you think I can or cannot do. Can I just be a student? And it was never really afforded to me. So I just had to pull on some grit and, and just say, I'm a New Yorker and no, it doesn't <laughs> bother me, right? Like, I'm going to assume that's where I got my grit from is being a New Yorker. I Who knows? But yeah. And nursing in New York is tough too. I mean, we're a little more <laughs> cushy on the West Coast. That's where I am. I'm <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> come on, come over here. Come over to Seattle. Um, I'm coming. Um, wow. So, so I'm just gonna, so it wasn't obviously was, I mean, nursing school in and of itself is really, really hard. It's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And obvious. And so I'm, I'm gonna, so it was harder for you. Is it? I mean, of course, because the expectation is the student is going to come knowing how they're going to be able to navigate the manage of nursing with never being a nurse before. Yeah. And, and I mentor newer nurses now, like, and they have disabilities and they reach out to me and they're telling me how they have to be able to explain how they're going to do something before they've ever done it. And I'm like, how does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, I, you didn't know how to do CPR standing up before you were taught how to do CPR from a standing position. Right. Right. They told you to bend over. They told you how to do things. I didn't know how to do CPR until I was taught how to do it from the seated position and what I would have needed to kind of learn and navigate to be able to do it from my position. But that took a firefighter and a retired nurse working with me to get to that point, not my school. Not any other trainer. Ooh, not, I'm not- sorry. Your school should be doing better. We should be doing better. <laughs> there, there's. I'm going to get into this later. And I mean, but I mean, I do want to know, like, obviously, like, what, what can we do better? We could have a lot of opportunity to be more inclusive. I think with nursing school, the shift is that we think that we're preparing you for the real world. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. We think we are preparing you for the real world. Yeah. Now, if that has taught us anything, 2020 and 2021 has taught us that that is not the case mm-hmm. uh, and that we need to do better. And we need to do better by actually understanding that in school, we're helping students learn how to pass the NCLEX. Right. The NCLEX is a test. It's a basics. After that part, it's this person's part to say, I'm going to go into desk work. I'm going to go into bedside. I'm going to go into telehealth, whatever it is that they want to do. Yeah. But from the school setting, I just need to get that student from port A to the NCLEX. Mm-hmm. That's it. I'm not applying for a job to yeah. get into school. Yeah. You don't need to worry about whether a student can hear the actual bowel sounds because if they're going into desk work, you don't need to worry about that. That's true. Right. Our new NCLEX now actually uh, takes away a lot of that for students with disabilities because of the fact that it wasn't actually inclusive enough. Mm-hmm. Our programs aren't inclusive of disability, let alone our textbooks, let alone the conversations that we have. So when someone comes to the door, it's automatically to say, well, what what can you do? Ooh. How How will you do this? And again, pointing the finger and pointing the explanation back to a student versus saying, as a program, we're willing to be adaptable. We're willing to just make sure that you understand the core information. If you can walk me through the steps that you would do and then being able to get you through that NCLEX, because again, not everyone is going to the bedside, but that's what our nursing education is solely centered around, bedside education. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You're right. Um, <laughs> speaking of, so you graduated and then you're okay. on this hunt to get a job. Now, I, I read something that your team sent me and I was <laughs> like, oh my God, what? How? 
just for the listeners out there, how many, how, how many times did it take for you to like get a job? Like how many places do you, did you apply to? So I had applied to over 1500 places, 1500, uh, over 1500. I was sending out anywhere from hundred to 150 applications a day within the tri-state area. So New York, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. Um, so four states, I pretty much exhausted every healthcare system out here. Wow. So that's saying a lot to all the healthcare systems that are listening. Hey guys. Uh, hi. <laughs> um, so yeah, we, it was over 1500. I had gotten interviews left and right about 76 interviews, particularly for clinical practice for bedside practice, hands-on. And then I was applying elsewhere because we all have student loans to pay. So we got to pay those back. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was getting like desk jobs. I was getting like case management. I was getting like telehealth things fine, but I wanted to go into the ICU. I wanted to be a pediatric ICU nurse. That was where I wanted to be. Remember as a kid, Yes. I, I knew those walls. Yes. I, that's where I felt comfortable. You lived I in got, that space. I lived in the pediatric ICU space for months upon months, years upon years on end, like multiple times a year. So I was so used to it. I knew how to, how to speak to parents. My, like I watched nurses speak to my parents. I knew how to like really get, understand how to like connect with a child so that a parent felt more at ease. Um, I absorbed it. And the only way to get into pediatric ICU is to get into med surge, right? Or, or you can go directly into ICU, but they usually want some type of like graduate program, residency, um, something. And uh, I had nothing. <laughs> uh, the other part was that my goal was ultimately to be a CRNA. I really wanted to go into anesthesia. I'm going to be at the head of a bed. I don't really have to do too much. They'll be right at my level. It'll be great. And the only way to do that is if you have ICU experience and yeah. you're getting all those hours. So I really wanted the clinical hours. 76 interviews going back and forth for med surge, pediatrics, labor and delivery, uh, what else, dialysis, anything that was going to just give me clinical hands-on experience. And it wasn't coming my way. And then the pandemic hits in March of 2020. New York is in crisis. They're put just like Seattle was. And we're putting out all the calls for all the nurses to come out of retirement. And all the hospitals are putting up their HR numbers saying, please call us. And I call them, leave my name and number. They call me back 15 minutes later and ask me to come in the following day. <laughs> okay, I go in and I, I have all my paperwork. I, I get past HR. HR says, okay, go here. And then tomorrow you start here. Okay, I go and I do my six hour course. And the nurse instruct, the nurse educator says nothing to me besides, do you need any accommodations? How can I best help you? And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to need until I'm in it. Uh but if I do, I'll call you. So can I just, do you, did you, did you start in March of 2020? I did. <sighs> I did. I did. Okay. My break came because of the pandemic and the need for nurses being so drastic that they were going to take anyone and everyone that had a heartbeat and an RN title. <laughs> <laughs> and that was me on wheels. So I show up at the hospital And within two hours, the charge nurse comes to me and says, have you ever been a nurse on the floor before? Yeah, because I'm thinking clinical, right? Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, have you ever done this before? And I'm like, yeah, I'm also thinking 30 years of experience. I'm thinking all of my friends with disabilities who I have suction, change G tubes, vent status, like just personal life, because this is the community that I'm a part of. And then she's like, well, I don't. And I was like, let me stop you right there. I got past HR. If you have any questions, please go back to them. And went back to the floor. But I was a little bit more stern about it because my preceptor at the time had told me that there's an EEOC statement at the bottom of every business. That's the equal opportunity employment statement. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you hold them to it. Ask them where are the people with disabilities? Ask them where they're visible. Ask them, you know why they would be rejecting you and let them give you a clear answer. Yeah. And they weren't able to do that. So I stayed on until uh, the end of it. 
<laughs> so yeah. Um, and so were you, so did you start in med search like eight hour shifts? I started in uh, orthopedic surgery, Yeah. Uh, 12 hour shifts. I was a clean unit at first and quickly turned into COVID. Uh, we started accepting clean patients. We say clean, right? Those yeah. that were um, COVID negative uh, uh, onto the unit and from vent patients coming down that were COVID negative. And all of a sudden, these nurses didn't know how to really handle vents. They're calling respiratory therapists because these are these are nurses that are dealt with surgery and, and doing uh what do you call it? Orthopedic care. Yeah. This They're not, not vent. No, right. This is not vent nursing. And, and people think that nursing is just nursing in general. Right. And that's not how this works. So I had vent knowledge. I knew how to work travel vents. I knew how to work uh, portable vents. And I knew how to work the standard vent system just because of my disability background and my community where they operate every day with their vents with them. And they'll just be like, Hey, I need you to change this for me. Or can you help me suction? Yeah. No problem. I understood what high peep meant, low peep meant. Like, I was like, I got this, I can do this. And one of our patients was deciding they're, they're paging respiratory therapy. No one is coming because they're up in the ICU. Yeah. And I was like, can I do it? Will you let me do it? And they're like, well, save her, go ahead. And the charge nurse let me do it. And from then on out, they were like, Andrea has vent knowledge. I got shipped to the ICU the moment they knew that. The moment they knew that I had vent knowledge and that amount of vent knowledge, yeah. even just talking with the respiratory therapist that would come down to the floor, the next morning, the charge nurse was like, she's got to go to ICU. <laughs> here's, a, here's a nurse who has not worked on any med surge unit. And I'm not saying this to glorify this, this process, but I hadn't worked any med surge unit. I haven't been face-to-face. I have been in rejection mode from every clinical position. And here it is that my life skills have now helped in a situation that could have been very bad. Yeah. I don't want to go (laughs) into it. I think that, I mean, obviously it was your, your moment to shine and you're right. Your life skills were 100% necessary. Um, and it's scary. <laughs> yeah, totally scary. Totally scary. Um, I, I don't want to go into what, why there were, I mean, I know why there were vented patients on the floor because um, it was during the pandemic and they were doing all kinds of things because mm-hmm. nobody had any resources. And um, as an ICU nurse, I think that that's, um, they shouldn't, I mean, they, they put nurses at risk, they put patients at risk, you know? Um, so that's a tangent for another day, but it is. <laughs> what was? Were you like so? So you're like okay now. So now, so now you need me, or now right. you want me? Right, right. It's this for me in the moment. So many people were like that. I was, I was running. I was going towards COVID and and how brave I was. Yeah, you were brave, by the way. Thank you. But to be honest, I didn't want to be in that position. I didn't want to have to be begging for a spot that now COVID happens and here is a spot opening for me, mm-hmm. right? I really wish at the moment that that charge nurses or nurse managers and CNO saw me as a nurse that was going to be able to contribute to the team mm-hmm. and not just saw my disability because it's visible and the first thing that you could see. Yeah, You know, that that part was like, wait a minute. And then the second part is I didn't want to be amongst COVID because again, I didn't know how it would affect me. I have a neurological disorder already getting from a virus, from a virus as a child. So it's like having another virus possibly impact your life. We don't know what long COVID is going to do. We don't even know what COVID symptoms are going to look like in the next 10 years. Every day, these things are mutating. And here I am in the thick of it. And I don't know what's going to happen, but I have I have to use this opportunity because I don't know when it's going to come back, if I'll ever get it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you're like, okay, great. You just, I'm going to kind of suck it up. Yeah. yeah. You just suck it up and you, and you do it. And I think that's what a lot of us, that's our mindset. That was our mindset for two years. You just do it. Now we're all burnt out. Like, yeah. mm, I don't know. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, so you, did you then? So then you went into ICU. I went into the ICU. I stayed in the ICU until about my last 
couple weeks on assignment. And then I went right back down to, uh, I went down to tele. I went down to cardiac unit and then I went back to med surgeon and I was gone. And then you were out? And then I was out. Where'd you go? Uh, were you just like, I, not, were you over that? Well, I mean, what led you to the next place? Was it just you were done with the place that you were? The contract ended. I had asked for a permanent assignment and it, it wasn't granted. And that's okay because they had to go through their budgets again. That's fine. Uh, so I just was like, okay, I have the experience. I can add on to my resume mm-hmm. now and I can possibly go somewhere else. Yeah. And to be honest, I couldn't do the trauma of going back through 76 interviews. When you're in the thick of going through rejection, it's really easy to kind of stay in it because you'll be like, okay, yeah, there's just another rejection. Yeah, it's okay, fine, whatever. So you can either decide to keep going and keep getting those because you it's a custom to getting a rejection now. And then one day you'll just get that opportunity and woohoo. I thought that my last opportunity would have been with the pandemic. So I internalized the trauma of being rejected 76 times and never getting an actual answer as to why. And then thinking about having to do that again, I was like, no, 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 I can't do it again. Yeah. Uh, so I just kind of gave up in that sense where that wasn't the direction for me anymore. I I got to experience the ICU. It's not the way that I wanted to experience it. Uh, if I had the opportunity to be there three days a week, 12-hour shifts, perfect for me because that works for what I want now. But was I going to go through those interviews again? No, no, absolutely not. I was not going to fight to tell someone about how able I am. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat my disability for anyone to be able to absorb it. Like, no, this is me. I did it. I've done it. I'm not going through rejection. Thank you. Let's move on. <laughs> wow. I can, I can only imagine, you know, I can't, I mean, I can't imagine I've, I haven't experienced that. Uh, but I will just say that, I mean, I'm sure I've been listening to it. It's like, that is so hard on your ego, on your just on your soul and yourself. And I mean, I completely understand why you wouldn't want to put yourself through that. I mean, I think the new students or the students that are like fresh out of school right now, definitely kind of understand that when they're trying to like buy first a job, maybe not so much right now because we're so much in need of nurses that, you know, everyone is possibly getting the job. But for those that that maybe face rejection or have faced rejection coming out of school or facing rejection now and just a shift in career, and how they're nursing, like, it is hard. It's hard to really kind of figure out if that's the right fit. Are they going to want me? You know, you you kind of second guess who you are. And, and I've been so firm in not doing that. Like, I'm not going to second guess what I can and can't do. Like, no one else lives the life that I live. No one else is on this on these wheels. They don't drive my car. They don't have my schedule. So how can I allow someone else's opinion or thought process or bias dictate me as a human being? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm very firm in my yeses now. I don't uh, allow for someone else to kind of offset my ego because my ego has already proven that she can do it in a pandemic, (laughs) nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On that note, I mean... I know that that wasn't a, like, well, for those people out there who are graduating school and who are applying for jobs and are getting rejected, what would you say to them? I mean, yeah. First of all, one one institution is not the end all. How many people live in this world? How many people live in your county? How many people live in your district or state? And then you know exactly how many institutions and healthcare facilities there are. You can look, that's public information. You haven't hit all of them yet, trust me. So if the ones reject you, they weren't the right fit. Find the one that is the right fit. And if and if you get the job and you don't like it, move on. Don't get stuck there just because you got the job. Rejection is hard, but you know the work. You passed your NCLEX. You, you deserve to be there. And if you're really just at your wit's end, start applying for a residency or a program that will get you 
a little bit more knowledge with hands-on and then get you to the part that you want to be at versus just getting rejected left and right. You got to figure out what makes you competitive. For me, it was, I got my ACLS. I had my pals. I had my mm-hmm. um, NP, NPR, NP, I don't have it anymore. So Mm, I don't know. My neonatal resuscitation. Oh, yeah. I don't I do adults, uh, so I don't know what I'm like. Yeah. <laughs> so I had it, right? And and I would volunteer for health fairs, doing blood pressures and just so that my resume was so pretty. Yeah. Uh, and like they couldn't say no. Yeah. And I kind of like packed my resume, but I was still getting that rejected. So if you're not packing your resume with showing the world like you are committed to your profession and you want to be where you're at, look at the job description. What are the requirements? Do you have those requirements? Not just the hands-on work, but like the qualifications, the certificates, make sure that you've, you've already gone the step ahead. You want to be in the ICU, go get your ACLS. Mm -hmm. You want to be in any type of pro go get a certification in EKGs. I don't know, figure it out, but great advice. Like pack your resume so that it looks like you are competitive enough to be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it truthfully looks like you want to be there, right? Right. It's like right. I know what I know what you're asking for. I'm gonna mm-hmm. here here you go. Here you go. I've got it. Do you know how many people I have interviewed? I'm in a position now that I have I'm I interview nurses and they'll tell me about why they picked this profession and, and I'll look at their resume and it'll just be like they just finished school, mm-hmm. they passed their NCLEX, no, they have their BLS because that's required a part of school. They want to be in this particular field and will have nothing. There'll be no volunteer opportunities there. There'll be no certifications there. There'll be no like reference saying that this person did this work with us, Mm. right? This is the impactful part of interviewing. And this is what it taught me. 76 rejections taught me is that for me, my rejection was based on something else, and that's fine. I can I can face that and deal with that at a, at a different time. But let's talk about the actual. Someone is looking at my resume before they even call me in. With however many nurses that just came out of my program, if every single one of them was going for the same job I'm going for today, where against my peers do I stand out? And you stand out when you have the certificates, the volunteer the volunteering, um, even if you're at a daycare, even if you like, you work in bartending, just your care for your customers can show through in your interview on your resume. You're going to talk about how much you cared for, for your customers that they kept coming back. Right. They want, they want to build that reputation with you because that's what nurses want. We want that continuity of care. Come back and tell me how you're doing in, in five years. That's Let exactly me see right. the baby pictures in six months. Right. Let me see that you have have done a 180 and are now doing better. Like, so we can see that from your resume yeah. just by how you present. Yeah. That's excellent advice. Anybody out there, I hope you're taking this in. Um, cause yeah, you obviously got some really wise, wise advice. Thank you. <laughs> so how is nursing going for you now? Nursing is a wild ride for me right now, because again, I am no longer stuck to the hospital. Okay. I'm not just thinking that that's where I have to be. Uh, I wish that I could be a CRNA. And if that opportunity ever came down the pipeline, I may just hop on that. So, hey, listeners, if you want a nurse. <laughs> but um, yeah. outside of that right now, I'm an assistant nurse manager for a primary uh, healthcare practice. Cool. I'm also a consulting nurse for private schools uh, who have neurodiverse students. I am a content creator, mostly talking about how disability is seen in healthcare and how we need to start changing the narrative around disability because disability doesn't mean inability. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also now talking to a lot of nursing schools and uh, medical schools, I'll be doing the pediatric conference soon. Uh, Yeah, a little tidbit. And then like I speak to business schools about actually what inclusion inclusion means with disability and not just inclusion for things that we typically know. And yeah, being me, (laughs) talking way too much and working way too many hours. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, I was an assistant nurse manager for five years. Um, that is a very, that's a hard job. There's a lot to juggle. There's a lot of demands. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was, I was wondering when you were like, I'm interviewing people. I'm like, Oh, I wonder if you're an A&M anyway. So yeah. So there's a lot, obviously there's a lot there. You have, you have such a full life, very, you already said this word, but very impactful. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're making waves, um, trying to push the status quo, change, create change. Um, what could we do? I mean, you kind of talked about this, but what could, what could, um, hospitals be doing better for, for people, for everyone, for everyone. Well, <laughs> shit. For everyone. <laughs> we, we can be here a long time. How could, how could, um, how could hospitals be, be more inclusive or the, so the, work, in the healthcare setting be more inclusive? So I remember when I said that every business has an EEOC yeah. statement that Equal Opportunity Employment Commission makes us uh, understand that we are going to be employing women, military, any type of race, religion, like military status, like you are covered. It's not just a statement to put on underneath your mission statement. You have to actually understand what that means. So for anyone that's creating a business listening or any business entity that's already out there, even hospitals, institutions, healthcare facilities, one, these facilities are not built for people who already have illnesses. These facilities are built for people who are able and with no issue visible or, or invisible. And that's a huge problem. You cannot have a facility that's built around making money off of disability if you don't have the doors open for disability, period. Yeah, yeah. Think about where your parking lot is set up and, and when you're handicapped, and handicapped, that is the wrong word. Think about your parking lot and think about where your disability access is. Is it downhill? Is it uphill? Uh, how easy it is for somebody to get from the parking lot to the front door? Your patients. Can your patients get into every bathroom? What about your employees? Can your employees get into every single bathroom? Why does it have to be just staff bathroom and it's this small like a closet space mm -hmm. versus like an actual bathroom size that you can get in and use and, and feel comfortable? I kind of laughed at this the other day, but it's kind of making sense right now when I was waiting for someone to get out of the larger stall as I'm waiting to go in the bathroom, they're like, you know what? I'm so sorry. And I'm like, it's fine. And I'm like, what the honesty is, is they should have just made every stall big enough. Totally. Because no one has to worry about whether or not they can get in and out because everyone can get in a big stall. Yeah. Same thing in a hospital setting. If you make sure that your patients are taken care of, your staff can be taken care of. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you're making sure that the room is already set for the patient to be in there with whatever mobility device, mm -hmm. whatever visual impairment device they need, whatever cognitive coloring they need on the wall to make sure that they're calm and they're not just going to have outbursts. This is not thought of when you think about children with autism and the colors that affect them. Yet our hospitals are bright with the same colors that are affecting them. <laughs> It's like, like you don't you don't really encompass the thought process. Uh -huh. There's no yeah. there's no no encompass of the thought process to inclusive design, mm -hmm. and therefore that EOE that EEOC statement is just a statement. We're an equal opportunity of yes, you can hire these people, but are you ready for them to come through the door? Yeah. How are you ready for them? How are you training your staff? Are your CNOs ready to really accept someone with a disability on their working team? Not if they're a nurse, because that's obvious. If I'm still dealing with the same issues in 2022 that I was dealing with in 2020 and 2019 and 2018 when I was a student, let alone 20, let alone, sorry, let alone 1982 when Gloria Ramsey was the first African-American woman to become a nurse who used the wheelchair, right? Like, when you think about the National Organization for Nurses with Disabilities is still around and, and still trying to make sure that the language is out there, that nurses with disabilities, no matter what disability it is that they have, they can be nurses and they can be full nurses, whether they're at the bedside or at a desk job or at home remote. 
these companies just don't, they think it costs more money. They think it costs more. It's not, it's healthcare. You already charge $50 for a Band-Aid unless you get an itemized bill, which will bring it back down to $2.20. So like, come on. Yeah. We know you have the availability. The other part is taking care of your nurses. Nurses shouldn't be bending. You should have Hoyer lifts. You should have track systems in your hospitals. You should have- I mean, we could look up the dollar amount on how many back injuries there are a year, right? Like They're going to spend more on a back injury for nurses than they're going to spend on just putting in a track system for five rooms. Our, our bariatric patients, you know, even more still when they're trying to go get a CT, how mortifying for them, how embarrassing for them that you're going to have nurses kind of trying to burrito them to go through a CT machine when these companies should already be making Bigger things CT. that are inclusive. Yeah, right. Or, or I shouldn't say whatever, but I mean, like, like yeah. just a way for patients to be able to be scanned. Okay. Like we knew that body mass index was going up since 2000. Yeah. That's over 20 years now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Airline seats are getting smaller and smaller, smaller, or, you know, or I mean, the yeah. spaces are smaller. They're just cramming more people in there. That's it <sighs> for money. But again, right. that EEO, that EEOC statement is just a statement until someone actually advocates for it. And then who advocates for it and actually stays long enough to not just be the whistleblower right? and to actually affect change. Because that's a, that's a huge burden for the individual. It is. It is. But again, the individual shouldn't be the nurse on the floor. Yeah, it should right. be the CNO at the top that's coming into a facility saying, wait a minute, I don't see how this is working out for our patients, let alone our nurses. It should be those CEOs that are taking home 13% bonuses. When we're getting none, yeah, right. <laughs> it should be them. Like, like we should be holding their hands to the fire. But to be honest, all we have to do is submit that little um, CIR, critical incident report, saying can't lift the patient because the patient is this amount of weight, no Hoyer lift on the floor, no track system. Guess what? Jaco comes in and says, what do you mean this patient wasn't able to get this done? I would write CIRs for everything. I would write CIRs for a, a, a toilet seat moving. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to write a CIR because you know why that's going to get you the attention you need and then hopefully the funding you need to get it done. Yeah. yeah. But I'm going to keep writing them. But we think that a CIR is only for when a patient falls or right. when you have a medication error. No, CIR is for everything. Yeah. They, yeah, I agree. And and for everybody out there, that's an incident report. Um, yeah, I agree. You just keep, you know, keep filing people. We just have to, you know, file those incident reports to create change or to focus the light on things that are not going well. Um, even, even for environmental yeah. to change, change the curtains. I would, I would put in CIR reports. If I, if I got blood on a curtain on Monday and that curtain was still up on Thursday, I'm writing a report. <laughs> like, like I would just write them not to be frivolous, but to make sure that my patients understood that my advocacy was far more than just about me. Right. It was it was far more than the working condition that I was under, but for them to come in and feel like they were in a space that was going to be able to take care of their needs. People with disabilities right now can go into an ER and they will tell you that their needs are not going to be met. Nine times out of 10, they don't have a way of getting onto the gurney they don't, from a power wheelchair. You don't even have the staffing to be able to usually do that. Like if you're in in a tall six foot seven man who maybe weighs about 300 and something pounds in a power chair, you're probably going to be treated in your chair. Think about primary care. It's the same thing. Wow. They're going to come yeah. into the building and they're not going to be able to get up onto the scale. They're not going to be able to get up onto the bed. So then my examination of you is now halved because again, we're not considering how we're doing these full assessments and catering to every single demographic that's supposed to come through our doors. And that's what healthcare is. Mm -hmm. Healthcare is taking care of every demographic, mm -hmm. but we don't. And we say that we do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you have me thinking about what we have in our emergency room. And I feel, I think we have, I don't know. I'd have to ask. I feel like we have lifts in our emergency room, but I don't, I bet we don't. And even a Hoyer lift is so hard to kind of crank it, crank it, crank it. Yeah. You're going to just hurt something else. They should just have track systems. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Because a track system allows you to then be able to move a patient, whether it be from their chair to a gurney to a bed without having to actually hurt the patient or the staff. Yeah, right, right. Were you blown away when you realized that you were the first nurse in New York to who? When you, what, what, I don't know, is it differently able to in a, in a wheelchair? Like, Disabled. Disabled. Is that a, that's okay. Yeah. Okay. Disabled. Perfect. Yeah. Um, were you were you floored by that, or were you like so? Surprised? I kind of I, I kind of knew going into school that I may or may not be the first. Okay. Uh, I started asking a lot of questions and found out like there were students that would have like hard of hearing or students that were differently. Uh, had different abilities or different disabilities that didn't get through the program, my particular program. And then I would reach out to like um, higher institutions, larger programs and ask if they've had anyone and they'd say no. When the board came back to me and said officially that it was a yes. And then my school also confirmed it was a yes. And then somewhere, one of the news publications also confirmed that I was the first. I was like, there's no way. Like, I'm the first, like, are you sure? And they're like, for as a wheelchair user, yes. And I was like, that doesn't make sense to me because I know a lot of wheelchair users. I know a lot of prominent wheelchair users. I had to look online and search extensively to even find one wheelchair user as a nurse Mm. to say that I could do it. And then I realized that, yeah, I'm the only one. And wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. And why? Yeah. yeah. Wow and why? Wow and why? Yeah. I'm sure you've heard this, but representation matters. Oh, 100%. 100%. You have and to be able why... to see people doing things so you know it's a possibility. Um, but this is why I am working so hard to keep my visibility up so that anyone across the world, you want to be a nurse, you can do it. Uh, especially now with technology, technology has made such an advancement uh, for healthcare in general Mm -hmm. that you no longer have to have all five of your senses for technology to be able to tell you what you're missing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we have a, we have people who have low hearing that can now use an echo device and turn it all the way up and either hear it for themselves or read it in front of them based on on an iPod or an Android giving you the feedback Mm -hmm. of what the device thinks it's hearing. Usually when we think we're hearing something anyway, don't we get a second opinion? Yeah, right. (laughs) Right. So don't, don't negate that technology is going to fail the person in the moment. Because remember, if we're thinking about life or death, if something, if their vital signs are showing us something is wrong, we're going to act. Yeah, right. We're, we're going to act. Right. So don't don't discredit for those listening, those that may be using some type of device, mobility device, whatever, for them to be able to do their job. Yeah. It's just equaling the playing field for them to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to ask for those second opinions. And for those like me who sit down and, and nurse, I may ask the ongoing, offgoing shift to help me set my room. I'm going to ask... Yeah. I'm not going to disrupt your day to think that I can so that you feel that you're overburdened with your day. I think a lot of people also think that people with disabilities are depend like dependent. Mm-hmm. And we're not. Yeah. Actually, we, we don't want to be dependent. We never even want to ask for help because we feel embarrassed because we think you're going to think of us as someone who is burdensome. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we don't even ask. I'd rather know that I'm sitting with a, a pole trying to knock off something from the top shelf than to go ask someone because I really don't want them to think that I'm being burdensome or I am, you know, intruding on their time in any type of way. You make me think about nursing in general and the way that we nurse and the way that I nurse. It's it's so team oriented. Mm-hmm. Like we rely so heavily on each other. Um at least where I work and, um, and delegation is key. And like, you know, you, mm-hmm. cause you have to know what is it important, right. what's important for you to do and what's important. Somebody else can do it. Like they can do it. You know, your time is maybe better spent doing something else, you know, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, 
that must that must be and must have been hard because you're you're you would normally ask for help in a situation, right? Okay. And then you're like, I I don't want to do it so that someone thinks that I'm being a burden. Right. I mean, of course, if it came directly to my patient's health or care, I'm going to ask no matter what. Yeah. But it was me going to the stock room, having to kind of reach the normal saline that's at the top shelf. I think there's a picture. If you guys ever go to my Instagram, there's a picture of me literally reaching up. And my wingspan is pretty long because I'm, I use my arms for everything since I was younger. So even just reaching up and I remember would say like, man, like if only they just brought the shelves down a little bit. And I remember seeing like the step stool ladders in, inside or like closed up or my nurses of short stature that I worked with would hide their step stools because they <laughs> could never find them when they needed them. Yeah. And then I was like, wait a minute, this is no different than a nurse who's short. Yeah. I'm literally just a short nurse. I'm on wheels. <laughs> like Just, just yeah. don't treat me any different than you treat a short nurse. Right. Yeah, totally. Or like, that's it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the mindset. It's the shift of thinking again, that disability is not the death sentence. That disability doesn't mean inability. It just, yeah. it's a disability. And that person must have lived life enough to know that they belong here and that they can do this versus someone else questioning it. Yeah. I just want to make a comment. I, I, I looked at your Instagram a lot and, um, um, I, could see that like you're an avid traveler. Like where'd, where'd you go? You would Indonesia somewhere or Bali or I was in Bali. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, what, what, what is it that you want people to know about like people who have a disability? Like are the things, you know, like, what do you think we should learn? Obviously you can do so many things that, mm-hmm. that someone without a disability can do or what could they learn? What can we learn? What can we learn uh, from you? I mean, we've obviously learned a lot. <laughs> we, can, um, we, have a, we, have a, we have a lot of work to do. We have work to do. And, and don't get me wrong, we've come a long way. And a lot of people are probably going to say, you know, the ADA is there for a reason. Well, let me school you guys. Hmm. The ADA is 30 years old. Because the ADA is 30 years old, the last major update was in 2008. Oh, now we're in 2020, about to be 2022, about to be in 2023. Yeah. If your last major update was in 2008, then you're already behind the times in terms of where we're at today with technology and healthcare. Uh, if you're thinking back to just being at ADA code, ADA code is 30 years old, Yeah. Uh, 30 plus. Uh, and the standards of that has changed tremendously again because of technology and healthcare advancements. So if you're you're thinking, oh, but the ADA, no ADA, things are different. We've changed. So now it's up to you to kind of say, wait a minute, my life is not. We're not superheroes. We we do not just take a beating and keep going, right? Mm-hmm. There's going to be a point in life that every single one of us will have some type of disability. That's a given fact. Yeah. Okay. Whether you break a toe, you break a leg, you break an arm, it's considered a temporary disability. Whether you get older and people are thinking about our elderly not being able to walk and shuffling their feet. And those are all encompassed of disability of what you can no longer do as normal, quote unquote, I'm going to quote unquote that because there's no such thing as normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we really understand that disability can happen to anyone at every given point in time, doesn't matter whether you're a woman, a male, black, white, orange, purple, like it doesn't matter whether you're transgender, any single person can join the disability club at any point in time. We are the fastest and largest growing minority in the world. So with that being said, if you're not preparing for it today with that EEOC statement that we all know, when will you prepare for it? When will you speak up about it? And it cannot be when you now need it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It cannot be when your family member now needs it because now you're too late. Yeah. Now you're not going to get it, whatever it is that you're asking for. Our voices need to be heard on a level that has never been heard before. Mm-hmm. All of these senators have the ability with a flick of a pen to say whether or not we have ratio ratios. 
whether or not we have Medicaid, whether or not we have Social Security, whether or not we have Medicare to be able to pay for when that disability comes down the line. And then there's a lot of people who be like, well, just work hard. Well, what happens to working hard when you have a disability and go through 76 interviews and still get rejected? That's the point. The point is that I'm not asking anyone to, to do something out of the ordinary. I'm asking you to plan for a life that you already have. You already have it. Just understand that at one point or another, you may join the community that I'm a part of. And at that point, it's too late for you to then advocate. I need you to advocate now. I need you to talk about this now. I need you to go back into your jobs and I need you to say, wait a minute, this room is way too cluttered. This is a fire hazard. I don't want all these things in there. I'm going to write a CIR report and I'm going to take a picture and attach it. I want you guys to start talking about putting in a incident report for the patients that are, it shouldn't even matter if they're 50 pounds. If you have to lift a patient and you don't have a track or a Hoyer system, write the incident report. Because you know why? The next time a patient comes in and they need that, quite possibly your incident report has led for them to get it. Mm-hmm. Take a stance today. I I mean, I, I don't know. I just want to <laughs> amplify what you're saying. I, yes. Uh, it, if, if there's a plate, like the, is there an organization or anything that we could get involved with if we want to join the disability rights movement? Yes, of course. So if you're nurses and, and you're really thinking about helping out other nurses with disabilities and kind of just advocating for them on their behalf, especially in your institution, reach out to the National Organization for Nurses with Disabilities. They're an amazing organization that literally helps nurses through any part of the disability process. And I'm not just saying disability in a wheelchair with walkers or being blind or having hard of hearing. I'm talking about those that may be going through uh, having diabetes and, and now facing certain obstacles coming down the road. I know some who get hurt and now trying to figure out accommodations in the workplace because yeah. nobody ever knows how to figure out accommodations. Uh, <laughs> no I'm one knows sorry. how to figure that out. Sorry to laugh, but yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's yep. true. true. No one knows yeah. how to figure that out. Here I am with a disability and I live my whole life trying to figure that out. So guess what? I know it, but yeah. that organization is number one key. Get involved with them. Even if you have five hours of time to just donate to them so that things that you see or things that you may not understand, they can help you. And therefore, you would be helping your team on the floor, regardless if you have someone with a physical or invisible disability there. If it happens and they join the disability community because of an injury, whether on or off the job, you'd be able to direct them. You want to stay in nursing? You think that your nursing career is over after a disability? Absolutely not. Call the uh, we call them uh, Nonda N O N O N D National Organization. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll link it up in the show notes. Okay, what's bringing you joy this day? Th- these days, what's bringing me joy is family time. Me and my sister just got away this weekend. Uh, we went to a spa. Oh, fun! <laughs> that's I mean, it was that's pretty incredible. Yeah, it was just me and her, and and that's always been a thing. And uh, Disney is my favorite getaway. So I have Disney coming up for the last of food and wine. Of wh- When is it? When are you going? We are going. I'm leaving this weekend. So I leave on Friday and I come back on Monday. Okay. What? I also love Disney. What is your favorite ride? Oh, Soaring. And that is only because I really love the um, the animation of Soaring in Epcot. That's oh, my favorite. Okay. It's boring ride, but I love that feeling of gliding yeah i want to be able to do zip lining so if there's any doctors that are buff enough to probably carry me up some zip lining trails <laughs> hit me up yeah i hope so <laughs> but soaring kind of uh kind of fixes that for me a little bit so i'm looking forward to that oh cool cool well i'm sure you're gonna zip line someday you're doing everything you want to do um <laughs> any last closing thoughts for the show andrea uh, any last closing thoughts? Um, thank you for all listening to me. And to be honest, I hope I was able to, to change your mindset just a little bit, just change the narrative. And also you guys don't be afraid to say the word disabled. We're not I know special. I fucked up. <laughs> I was like, Oh God, did I, can I, sorry, sorry. Okay. Keep no, going. Don't, don't ever be afraid to say the word disabled. 
uh, we understand disability. People who have disabilities understand disabled. What we ask that you don't say is handicapped. We ask that you don't say special needs because there's nothing special about my human need. Got it. My human need is that I need to use a wheelchair and that I need to do X, Y, and Z every couple of hours, right? Like that's my human need. It's nothing special about my human need. There's nothing special about your human need. It's your human need is what you need to do to be able to survive and get through your day. Mm -hmm. There's nothing special about that. Okay. okay, so saying special needs or or trying to sugarcoat disability in any way, don't do it. Just don't say handicapped, say disabled, and you're good. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much. Uh, I'm appreciative very much, and I'm sure everybody else out there is. Any Anything else? No, I think that's it. I okay. think we covered it all. <laughs> well, I just um, have enjoyed talking to you so much. You're amazing, and... Um, Everybody go follow Andrea at um, The Seated Nurse on Instagram. You have a really huge account over there. Um, So I'm just grateful that you came on the show. And um, I, gosh, I'm just, yeah, just so thankful. Uh, I'm just going to close this one out and say stay safe and stay sane. And we'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you are listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at founddownpodcast. We'll see you on the next one.